so I was sowing some uh, grass seed. We had a few spots die out on us last year, so basically in work mode here. And describe this how the system works. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, well, those trucks come around and that where that concrete is right there, that's where we unload our grain and it. We're standing next there. to the grain silos at Kimberly Farms outside of Maxwell, Iowa, and all around us are corn and soybean fields that stretch as far as any of us can see. That voice you hear is Rick Kimberly, the proud owner of this place. This farm has been in Rick's family for five generations, ever since his ancestors arrived here from England in the 1860s. Rick himself started farming almost 50 years ago. Back then, it took a whole lot more people to work a much smaller piece of land. But over the decades, Rick and his family have kept working to upgrade their operation. It's all monitors and computers, so it, you know, it's kind of automated. Mm. And, uh, you know, when the, we, you know, that move into more modern farming techniques allowed Rick to expand his farm to a full 4,000 acres today. That's roughly 3,000 football fields of land. And in 2012, it also brought him a visitor from a far-off country. We walked in this area with President oh, yeah. Xi. As, you, as we go out there, you'll see uh, we could circle around these grain bins so they could bring in the, the caravan of cars, which there's 10 or so cars. In our last episode, we talked about Chinese President Xi Jinping's early roots in Iowa, back when he first visited in 1985. When she returned to Iowa in 2012, he paid a visit to Rick Kimberly's farm to discuss agricultural modernization with the fifth-generation farmer. Were you uh, nervous in the run-up to it? You know, he's kind of a big honcho. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, kind of got a little nervous right right when uh, that day arrived. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, people started showing up, like, way early. Yeah. And we had a lot of reporters here. And you said there was a lot of security? Yeah, there was a lot of security. China had theirs. There was foreign security services. And there were the highway patrol, local, and county sheriff. Xi's visit shut down local roads that day, but it also opened up new international opportunities for Iowa farmers, and for Rick Kimberly in particular. That's because that 2012 visit by Xi turned Rick Kimberly into a kind of farming celebrity in China. Over the past eight years, he has made over 20 trips to China and visited over 60 cities to give talks on American agriculture. He's even working with Chinese partners to build a, quote, friendship farm near Beijing, a little agricultural paradise that's modeled on his own farm. The friendship farm is slated to feature a recreation of a small Iowa town for tourists to visit. Washington, D.C. might be home to the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, but here in Iowa, Rick Kimberly has become the face of American farming in China. Been in a lot of the Chinese newspapers, so I've, I've kind of become kind of a person that's known over there. Welcome to Heartland Mainland, the Iowa-China podcast, brought to you by Macro Polo. I'm Matt Sheehan, a fellow here at Macro Polo, the think tank of the Paulson Institute in Chicago. And I'm Holly He, multimedia and research associate at Macro Polo. In Heartland Mainland, we're digging into the deep and diverse ties binding together the Hawkeye State and the People's Republic of China. In our previous episodes, 
we looked at the impact of Chinese students at Iowa universities and explored the political connections linking China's president to local politics in the Iowa caucuses. Today, we're diving into agriculture, looking at the relationship between China and Iowa farmers like Rick Kimberly. Rick and President Xi hit things off back in 2012, but that happy-go-lucky Iowa-China story took a turn for the worse during the trade war of the last couple of years. In July of 2018, China began slapping retaliatory tariffs on American soybeans, corn, and pork. Tariffs that took a bite out of the income of Iowa farmers like Rick. Over the past year, we've been talking with Rick, checking in with him as hopes for a trade deal rose, fell, and rose again. Last week, after more than 18 months of tit-for-tat combat, the U.S. and China signed a phase one trade deal intended to stabilize the relationship. China has promised to restart some large purchases of American agricultural products, and the U.S. will begin to scale back some of its tariffs on Chinese goods. But are those moves too little too late for people like Rick Kimberly? And what happens when a trade war pushes soybean farmers to choose sides between their biggest foreign customers and their country? We're going to get into all of that on this episode of Heartland Mainland. The story of Iowa-China agriculture ties didn't start with Xi's visit to the Kimberley Farms. It's a connection that goes back decades, one driven by the transformation of Chinese agriculture, the rise of China's middle class, and a multi-decade campaign by American farmers to win the new markets. Back when Rick Kimberley rented his first farm in 1972, China's economy was still largely shut off from the world. The country was just about a decade removed from one of the worst famines in human history, and Chinese farmers still worked on collective farms that were part of the state-planned economy. China began its process of economic reform and opening up in 1978 by breaking up those collective farms into individual family plots under what was called the, quote, household responsibility system. They began letting farmers tend their own patches of land and sell some of their surplus food for profit. In the years that followed, agricultural production in China boomed. And the beginning of that boom caught the attention of Iowa farmers half a world away. Soybean farmers established an office in Beijing in 1982 to try to develop this relationship because we thought that this is a real opportunity for our industry. That's Mike Stinghook, the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition in Des Moines. Lots of the soybeans Iowa produces end up going into feed for livestock, like pigs. Mike told us that by setting up shop in Beijing back then, American soybean farmers were making a big bet. They were betting that as China grew out of poverty, the people would begin eating more pork, beef, and chicken. And all those pigs, cows, and poultry would in turn be eating lots more animal feed. Feed that the farmers hoped would be made from American soybeans. And it really didn't start yielding benefit until after 2000, when you all of a sudden started to see a real increase in the, in the purchasing of soybeans. The Chinese economy really started taking off at that time. Mike was referring to when China entered the World Trade Organization in 2001. At the time, it accounted for a little over 20% of global soybean imports. But by the time Xi Jinping paid a visit to Rick Kimberly's farm 11 years later, China's share of global soybean imports had tripled to 60%. Today, Chinese people eat half of all the pork consumed globally. That's a whole lot of feed. 
Iowa and its neighbor Illinois are always the top two states for soybean production, and by 2012, growing demand from China had pushed Iowa's global soybean exports to a record of 3.6 billion dollars. So when she arrived on Rick's farm in 2012, everyone there had plenty of reasons to smile. I'd say if we could get a picture of you sort of standing next to me,、okay. I think that's a great look. Okay. Great All right. Look at these and go.、Yeah. I'm taking a picture of Rick Kimberly in his living room. He's the Iowa farmer you heard from earlier. Rick's home is in central Iowa, about 30 minutes northeast of the state capital of Des Moines. But his living room can look like a mashup between a midwestern home and a miniature Chinese museum. Walking in, we see pictures of the grandkids, throw pillows embroidered with horses, and a plaque commemorating the 2017 Iowa Master Farmer Award. But sprinkled between these all-American items are a different kind of memorabilia: Chinese commemorative scrolls, framed photos from Beijing's Great Hall of the People, and a big oil painting in the place of pride over the fireplace. In the painting. The silver-haired Rick is sitting on his living room couch. Next to him sits Chinese President Xi Jinping, smiling and animated. You feel like they got they captured you well up here. Well,、um, you, you know, it kind of looks like the eyes look a little different. It's okay, but I mean, it is not exactly. Yeah, I've never I've never had a painting done of myself, so I. I use even President Xi. I wouldn't call that an exact. No. <laughs> For someone like me who moved from China to the American Midwest, the decorations and the whole ambiance of the room—it all feels a bit surreal. One day in early 2012, Rick got a call from the Iowa Development Commission, telling him that a couple Chinese people wanted to come by and visit his farm. Those visitors turned out to be the Chinese Consul General in Chicago and China's ambassador to the U.S. At his home, they asked Rick about his family and the farm. It wasn't until after they left that Rick learned they were looking for a farm that President Xi would come tour, and that Kimberly Farms had been selected. The purpose of Xi's trip was to learn more about America's advanced farming technology. At Kimberly Farms, sensor-driven grain storage helps avoid the spoilage that's common in China, and sophisticated tractors allow Rick to farm 100 acres a day by himself. That's more than 60 times the 1.6 acres that make up an average Chinese farm. Joining Xi on the farm that day were some heavy hitters from both sides: Iowa Governor Terry Branstad, the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, and the Chinese ministers of both agriculture and commerce. On the day of the visit, bomb-sniffing dogs gave the farmer once over, and then Rick and his whole family welcomed Xi and his entourage into his living room. And he was very, very nice to us. Uh, treated us well.、Uh, you know, my wife was here, my son was here. It was an exciting time for us. After a heavily photographed fireside chat about family and farming, Rick got up to show Xi around the farm. The Chinese side had carefully choreographed each part of the visit, but when Rick and Xi got outside, things went a bit off script. And when we had the、um, people that came and kind of made the pre-overlook of what. Was going to happen before President Xi got here. They they mentioned that they really didn't want President Xi to get into a tractor because they thought, well, you know, if he would slip or something that you know might not be good. So, but while we were out there, we had our 
this very large tractor out there and prison she was looking at it because it's really large and big and and I just asked him if he would like to get in the tractor and and he understood because he 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 went right to the tractor he didn't wait for the interpreter <laughs> and we went to the tractor he went right in there and uh, there's the picture right there he really enjoyed that uh, time we had in the tractor and we had a good dis discussion the interpreter was right outside the door. You can't see him in that picture, but he was right there. She's visit to Kimberly Farms generated a flurry of media coverage in both countries, but especially in China, where the leader's every move is covered in detail. Pictures of Rick and Xi chatting in that bright green John Deere tractor made the rounds on Chinese media, and almost overnight, Rick became a kind of agricultural celebrity in China. Invitations started pouring in for Rick to come to China and give talks on agriculture. In his first 62 years, Rick Kimberly had never set foot in China. In the past eight years, he's made over 20 trips and visited 60 cities. You know, I've been to the universities, talked to different universities, been to high schools, and uh, uh, also been to elementary schools. We've, all, we've also gone to the agriculture officials. Mm of different provinces or different cities and talk to them. We've been on out and on some farms, different farms and different uh, things they, they do. And of course, they raise a lot of vegetables there. Rick has also funneled some of his agro-diplomacy into a new project in China. During Xi's visit to the farm, he has surprised Rick by saying that he wanted to use the Kimberley Farms as a model for modern agriculture in China. A few years later, Iowa's sister province of Hebei began making that into a reality when they broke ground on a 3,200-acre demonstration and friendship farm modeled on Rick's farm. They even planned to build a replica of a typical Midwestern town to attract tourists from nearby Beijing. Based on the Kimberley's experience in Iowa, they shouldn't have any problem attracting Chinese tourists. We've had thousands of Chinese visitors come to our farm from China because they want to uh, see where President Xi's been. We have still have that tractor, and they all want to have a picture sitting in the tractor, you know, with me, or standing in front, we take pictures. And, and so it's a, it's a real attraction for them. But the people of China uh, believe that the, it's really amazing uh -huh. if you've met the president, and also your, the president of China has been in your home. That is something that we didn't realize how differently people react over there than, let's say, if the president of the United States would come here. That would be cool, but after that, nobody really <laughs> cares. <laughs> yeah. Xi's visit to Kimberley Farms is the kind of image that both countries like to promote. A world leader and a farmer, sitting side by side, chatting about U.S.-China friendship and agricultural collaborations. It paints a hopeful picture that puts Iowa farmers, soybeans, and corn right at the center of fostering U.S.-China relations. But that picture began to fray after President Trump took office in 2017. We are now making it clear to China the theft of American jobs and wealth has come to an end. Some of the most contentious issues between the U.S. and China involve technology and intellectual property theft. But when it comes to fighting things out, both countries have relied on tariffs on exports as their weapons of choice. 
Beginning in July of 2018, President Trump slapped 25% tariffs on $34 billion of Chinese goods, mostly industrial products like drilling machines and hydraulic turbines. China immediately hit back. The 25% duty on soybeans appears to be the one that carries the most weight. Things got uglier as the year went on, escalating to a full-blown trade war. The two sides traded accusations, and attempts at negotiations fell apart again and again. And again. Discussions between the two countries ended Friday without a deal. Caught in the middle of all this are farmers, especially those who grow soybeans and corn in Midwestern states that voted for Trump. That includes Iowa, the number two exporter of soybeans nationally. By spring of 2019, U.S. soybean exports to China had been cut by two-thirds, hitting their lowest point in 15 years. That began depressing prices for soy and corn, hitting farmers' pocketbooks. Farmers we spoke to said their incomes had dropped by a full 25%. To ease that short-term pain, the Trump administration gave out market facilitation payments, basically subsidies to farmers. But for many of them, the long-term impacts of the trade war might be even more concerning. Farming is not like owning a cupcake shop. That's Mike Stinghook, the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition you heard earlier. You know, if, you, if you're a cupcake shop owner, and all of a sudden if there is a unexpected and dramatic decrease in the demand for chocolate cupcakes, but an increase in the demand for vanilla cupcakes, all you have to do as the owner of that cupcake shop is just go to the grocery store change what ingredients you're buying. Whereas with agriculture, it requires you to have a long-term forecast before you're going to spend millions and billions of dollars in new machinery as a farmer. With American soybean suppliers caught in political turmoil, China has been sourcing more and more of its purchases from suppliers in South American countries, particularly in Argentina and Brazil. Once you make those systemic changes, that even if you have this grand agreement between the United States and China, it doesn't necessarily snap back like a rubber band. And that's the real concern that we have, is you could, we could all of a sudden see, we could have a resolution, and all of a sudden we find the market isn't the same as it was before. The first time we visited Rick Kimberly, it was April. The planting season for soybeans and corn at that time, the U.S. and China were about to hold trade talks, and everyone was hopeful for a deal. But as spring turned into summer, the talks faltered, and both sides imposed more tariffs. That's why we decided to visit the Kimberly Farm again in September 2019. Hello. Hi there. Hi. Yeah, come on in. Good to see you again. Good to Hi. see you Hi. too. Hi. Good to see you. Yeah. When we visited Rick, he had recently returned from his 20th trip to China this time to work with Chinese farmers on a sustainable farming project. But not everything over there was going smoothly. The demonstration farm has probably uh, uh, slowed up just a little bit, uh, you know, just because of the kind of the little cloud that hangs over it, just because of the, the two countries kind of doing their talking and trying to get this thing worked out. And, um, you know, of course, through all that time, we were always hoping uh, that there would be some uh, breakthrough in the negotiations. But, uh, you know, every time we thought there w was something positive coming out of it, it just kind of rolled back to where it was. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people were back and forth hedging, what should I do, what should I do? Rick told us that during the first year of the trade war, 
has seen the price of his crops fall by about 20 to 25 percent, a serious hit to the farm's income. But he and his fellow farmers also are worried about some of the customer relationships built over decades might be gone for good. And maybe even they'll will uh, have a conclusion and they'll come to a negotiating uh, place where there there's an agreement and uh, on trade. But how will that affect us in the future? We could be paying for this for years to come. But despite those setbacks and long-term concerns, Rick is keeping his chin up. You know, we still have hope. I mean, if you're a farmer, you, you always have optimism and that, you know, things are going to go right and the weather's going to be right. And, uh, we're optimistic, but I think it's gone on long enough now. Uh, we're not holding our breath. Usually, this kind of hit to farmers' incomes is a regional political issue, something that a state's representatives might complain about in Congress. But given the Iowa caucus's pivotal role in selecting the next president, Iowa issues become national issues. We saw that local flex on display at the January Democratic presidential debate held in Des Moines, the last debate before the Iowa caucuses. But we have farmers here in Iowa, farmers here in Iowa, the family farmers here in Iowa. But what do the farmers themselves make of the trade war? Rick Kimberly tends to be pretty careful when it comes to making political statements or condemning either side in the dispute. But last episode, we took you out to the Democratic Party's Polk County Steak Fry, the big September cookout dubbed the Coachella of the Iowa caucuses. While we were there, we took the chance to ask a farmer we met for his take. I'm a farmer from central Iowa. I'm uh, 51 years old. Your name is? Aaron Lehman. Aaron Lehman. What do you grow? Uh, corn, soybeans, ote. And how about uh, ongoing trade war with China? Have you been impacted in any way by tariffs? Absolutely. Lower farm income. Our prices for for all our commodities have been hurt by by this approach dealing with trade. We think you have to deal with uh, China aggressively. There are some real issues there, but the way we chose to do it had just blown up the farm economy. And do you have any sense of percentage hit to income or revenue for, say, you personally? When we started hearing about the Twitter, uh, the Twitter uh, trade wars last summer, our soybean prices dropped by 20 percent. That was the last wow. commodity we were making money on, on, on conventional uh, side of Iowa commodities. So it had a huge impact immediately, and, and they haven't recovered since. What's your hope for the election? Have you picked out a candidate that you're supporting? No, I'm, I'm just glad that they're all talking about uh, issues important to Iowa farmers, uh, farm income, uh, trade, ethanol, and climate. At the end there, you heard Aaron listing four key policy issues that are important to Iowa farmers. Farm income, trade, and climate are pretty well understood nationally. But what about ethanol? In traveling around Iowa and talking to people in agriculture, this was a theme that came up time and again for us. And the different reactions farmers have to ethanol and tariff issues say a lot about how they see trade. But first, it requires just a bit of explanation. So ethanol is a renewable fuel, one that's usually made out of corn and other plant products. Renewable fuel standards in the U.S. require a certain amount of ethanol to be mixed in with gasoline, usually around 10%. That creates demand that drives up prices for corn grown in states like Iowa. In the U.S., ethanol accounts for nearly 40% of all corn sales. But since 2018, the Trump administration's Environmental Protection Agency has given a lot of small oil refineries waivers. Waivers that get them out of buying ethanol. 
Many farmers see that move as unjust and directly undermining their corn sales. This issue of ethanol waivers doesn't get much attention on the coasts, but in places like Iowa, it's red hot. In September, we sat down with representatives from the Iowa Corn Growers Association to ask them about the impact of Chinese tariffs on corn. They dutifully described the many ways that the trade war has hit the bottom line for Iowa corn farmers. But they told us the reactions from those farmers are far more intense on ethanol issues. This is Kevin Studer, a federal policy advisor at the organization. I think the, the ethanol issue right now is enraged kind of our farmers. Um, I feel like they understand. I mean, certain when you're dealing with the international governments, they know that uh, you can't control them. Our president can't control other countries and their decision making. But we can control things right here in our own U.S. market. But the, losing the Chinese potential ethanol is like a shot in the foot. And then when you lose your domestic, it's like another shot in the foot. So, <laughs> and then you get the weather we had. Yeah, yeah. That's a shot in the other foot. Farmers, I think, are running out of feet and toes to shoot. So it's just like a perfect storm for them. And, and we've been, from a policy standpoint, our message as Iowa corn is, as far as farmers, is that it is kind of the perfect storm that's hit them all at the same time. As of Wednesday, January 15th, 2020, it looks like these farmers might get at least one of their feet back underneath them. Last week, President Trump and Chinese representatives finally signed what's being called a phase one trade deal. Essentially, it begins the process of rolling back some of the hardest hitting parts of the trade war. Among other things, the U.S. agreed to cut in half the tariffs placed on $120 billion worth of Chinese goods. In response, China has agreed to purchase an additional $200 billion of American goods over the next two years, including tens of billions of dollars of agricultural products. China also agreed to stronger legal protections for patents, trademarks, and other kinds of intellectual property. With that, the most turbulent trade war of the 21st century saw its first tangible step towards de-escalation. Both sides are still keeping tariffs on hundreds of billions of dollars of products. But the U.S. and China are already discussing a phase two deal that could begin to address those. Last year, shortly after announcing that the two sides had agreed in principle to a phase one deal, President Trump floated an idea for where the two countries could meet to sign the deal. But we're thinking about Iowa. You know why? Because it would be the largest order in history for farmers. So to me, Iowa makes sense. I love Iowa. It's a possibility. The Iowa signing ceremony never came to fruition. Instead, the final deal was inked inside of the White House. After the speeches and ceremonies, the impact of the phase one deal will be trickling down to American farmers. Just hours after the deal was signed, we checked in with Rick one more time. When we spoke to Rick, He had just gotten back from another trip to China, and just a few hours before our phone call, he watched the Phase 1 trade deal being signed on TV. I think it's a good beginning, a good start, and, uh, you know, I think everyone was uh, glad to see this first phase uh, actually signed now. It looks like there's going to be much more to it. That said, Rick thinks it might be a long time before farmers in Iowa begin to see a real bump to their bottom line. It has affected incomes, and, uh, you know, uh, bottom line, that affects people. But I, I also believe uh, 
we look at the long-term effect of the trade with China, that uh, something needed to be done and uh, probably should have been done uh, many years earlier. It's kind of crazy how Rick's life has changed since 2012. At age 62, he was suddenly thrust into a strange new world and a totally unexpected role. He's played the role of an agricultural celebrity and a citizen diplomat, all while straddling a conflict between the world's two superpowers. With the dust beginning to settle on the trade war, it's a chance for Rick to take stock of what has happened. Now, after everything that you've gone through, I'm, I'm just curious. Is it fun? Are you still having a good time like going over there or making these trips? Or has it become kind of taxing, kind of a, like a duty or a responsibility that you have for this? Well, I kind of feel like it's a, uh, somewhat of a duty. Uh, it's not something I uh, ever thought I would do. But uh, now that we're placed in this position, you know, I, I feel like it's uh, something that we should do. And uh, it's, you know, I, I don't know that I call it fun. We enjoy the people and we enjoy uh, just building on these relationships. So uh, I just look at it as another phase of our lives and, and something that uh, we've been placed into. And, uh, and I guess we look forward to it. Heartland Mainland is written and produced by Holly He and me, Matt Sheehan. It's brought to you by Macro Polo, think tank of the Paulson Institute in Chicago. To explore more about this series and our research into Chinese politics, economics, and technology, find us online at macropolo.org. That's macro as in macroeconomics and polo as in marcopolo.org. We'd like to thank our student fellow Xu Yingwen and our assistant producer Wu Jie Julia So for all their work on research and production. We'd also like to thank Swallow Yan for connecting us with Rick. Finally, we'd like to thank Ash and Spencer for the music. I'm Matt Sheehan. And I'm Holly He. Catch you next time on Heartland Mainland. <laughs>